I'm Archbishop Alan Vigneron of the Archdiocese of Detroit, and this is the Eyes on Jesus podcast. Hello and welcome to the Eyes on Jesus podcast with Archbishop Alan Vigneron. I'm your host, Mike Chamberlain, and we are excited to release new episodes once a month, so please make sure to subscribe and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Archbishop, welcome, and thanks again so much for joining us. How are you? I'm doing fine, Mike. Great to be back with you. Yeah, it really is. Last time we spoke, it was just before Holy Week. Um, I'm wondering, how, how did your Holy Week go? How did those uh, that Triduum celebration go, and uh, how, how have you been? I've been fine, and uh, the Triduum celebration was uh, a, a blessing. was uh, still in the back of my mind as I walked into the cathedral, where, where the, the, uh, the shutdowns that we had uh, at the beginning of COVID, and I continued mm. to give God thanks that we were able to be in the cathedral and celebrate with full voice. Yeah. Remember just a couple of years ago, you're doing that in there by yourself, except for a few cameramen, right? A real skeleton crew. Yeah. I know on Holy Thursday, it was a big deal. You, you announced uh, specifically a year of priestly vocations. Do you want to speak a little bit about that, Archbishop? I do. I'm happy to mention that uh, at the Christmas Mass, I uh, made a formal announcement, it seemed like a good time to do it, that uh, we're going to have a, a year of intense prayer. The whole diocese united to ask God to uh, give us more priests so that we can serve the gospel and advance his kingdom. Mm. Um, and uh, it's very important. Uh, some dioceses that have uh, done this uh, approach have uh, had great fruit from it, and I'm oh, confident beautiful. that we will too. You know, it's what our Lord says, uh, pray the Lord of the harvest to send laborers mm -hmm. into the harvest. So yeah. I'm just doing what Jesus said, really. Right. <laughs> that's all you can do, right? <laughs> right. That's beautiful. Well, I know, and I know that's officially kind of kicking off, uh, or is kicking off on, on June 4th, isn't that right, on the uh, the Feast uh, of Pentecost? The Vigil of Pentecost. Uh, by uh, God's providence, uh, his inscrutable plan, uh, we don't have any uh, men to be ordained to the priesthood uh, this uh, year on the Vigil of Pentecost. And so that seems like a, a, a most appropriate day to uh, inaugurate this year mm. of prayer. Yeah. And of course, with that begins at 10 a.m., uh, a holy hour. There a holy hour. And I invite everybody who's listening to, to uh, seriously consider, discern, uh, please uh, come and join in this prayer, this ardent prayer to the Lord of the harvest. Amen. Amen. You know, and I know as, as some listeners may know, May is Asian Pacific American Heritage Month. And, um, you know, while we're already into May now, you know, I don't know if you wanted to take a moment just to kind of um, share or recognize what this month's about. I know you had some social media posts about that. Well, it... Uh, uh, one of the important uh, insights that we live with as part of the Catholic Church in the United States is the wide variety of uh, ethnic heritages. And that really means the human re uh, uh, gifts that God has blessed us with. Um, and one set of uh, folks that are part of our life are people from uh, the Asian Pacific uh, area. And uh, so we celebrate the gifts that God gave them. And more than celebrate them, we give God thanks for those gifts. And uh, we, we appreciate very much how the gifts that God gives to our Pacific Asian brothers and sisters uh, make our lives richer as well. 
One very easy way to think about this is, of course, to think about the gifts of uh, our Filipino Catholics, oh. but uh, gifts throughout the, the Asia, Asian Pacific. Uh, uh, one thing we might think about here in our diocese is our own uh, uh, native son, Archbishop uh, Mike Burns, who is uh, oh. uh, the pastor of the church in Guam. Yeah. So... There's a lot of ways that God, uh, ties that God builds up this connection. Well, and again, just the beauty of the fact that our Catholic faith is, is truly universal. I mean, we, we embrace any and all heritages, and, and that's just a huge greatness to our Catholic faith and the family that we all are together, right? Exactly. Uh, all the gifts that God has poured out in, in the world of nature, in the, the human world, uh, these are things that he means for us to then give back to him uh, explicitly for his glory. Uh, so God is, is glorified when he's praised in Polish, and God's glorified when he's oh. praised in uh, African-American spirituals, and God's praised when he's glorified in the, uh, in the cultures of uh, the Asian Pacific. Oh, beautiful. Well, as people might hear, uh, Mary Wilkerson, unfortunately, is not with us today uh, due to some family travel plans. She's actually in Disney right now. So uh, blessings on her safe travels and having a good time with her family. But due to that, we're actually really happy uh, to join and have Rebecca Masti join us. Uh, she's a policy advocate with Michigan Catholic Conference. And so, Rebecca, welcome. I don't know if you want to just take a moment to tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do. Thank you very much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Um, as you mentioned, I'm a policy advocate with the Michigan Catholic Conference. And for those, um, a reminder, the Michigan Catholic Conference is the official public policy voice of the Catholic Church in our state on matters of public policy. So I have the privilege of representing um, the church on policy issues, primarily with state lawmakers, but also um, with, with our um, federal delegation. Um, and I work primarily on issues regarding human life and dignity, uh, marriage and family, as well as a variety of other issues. Well, Rebecca, it's great to have you with us. We thank you so much for joining the show. And yeah, I'm sorry, Archbishop, were you about to say something? Yeah, just say welcome to Rebecca. I appreciate uh, having her as a co-worker in the conference, and I'm very grateful she's able to be on the podcast today. Mm. Thank Amen. you, Archbishop. Well, and it makes sense uh, to have her on today's episode specifically because we're, we actually wanted to talk about something that's front and center right now in our society. And that is, of course, uh, with the Supreme Court's Dobbs versus Jackson, Jackson decision uh, expected to be decided soon and kind of circulation and proposed Michigan ballot petition to include the right to life and abortion. Uh, our right to abortion, I'm sorry. Um, so we thought it would be great to have, you know, obviously Archbishop, you uh, sharing us that kind of pastoral, spiritual um, regard for these issues. Uh, and then, of course, Rebecca, to have you kind of sharing us with us more of the lawful uh, understanding of some of these things happening within our country and our state right now. So I guess to begin the question uh, or begin the discussion, uh, Rebecca, would you mind sharing with us just a little bit about uh, what what is Dobbs versus Jackson exactly as a case and how might that impact abortion not in the United States and in Michigan? Sure. As you mentioned, there's a lot going on right now. And I know, you know, people might have heard of Dobbs or they may have heard of, you know, the Supreme Court might possibly overturn Roe. Um, I just want to go into a little bit more detail. So the Dobbs case came about because in 2018, Mississippi instituted a a gestational age act uh, into their law. And so this would limit abortions after 15 weeks, except in medical emergencies. So um, 
one thing that's kind of interesting is looking at why 15 weeks. And actually, the Mississippi law put in findings of fact explaining why they chose 15 weeks, and in part because of fetal development. By five to six weeks of gestation, the unborn baby already has a heartbeat. At nine weeks, all basic physiological functions are present. The baby has teeth, its eyes are formed. By about 11 weeks, the baby's diaphragm starts working so it can hiccup. Um, (laughs) So at only 11 weeks. And so by 15 weeks of gestational age, even though the baby is only about four inches long, it has all major organs functioning. Um, And even before that, it's, you know, fingers are opening and closing and it's moving around in the womb. And so those were some of the key things that led to the 15-week uh, gestational age act, you know, limiting abortions after 15 weeks in Mississippi. One of the reasons we're talking about this Mississippi law is because the only abortion clinic in Mississippi challenged it, and it has now made its way up to the U.S. Supreme Court. So back in December, the U.S. Supreme Court had oral arguments on the case, and as you mentioned, we're awaiting any day now their decision uh, between now and and um, likely the end of June. So the reason that the Supreme, one of the things the Supreme Court is going to be, need to be looking at is um, a direct challenge to Roe. So mm. this law, uh, one of the the things set out in Roe versus Wade back in 1973 by the court was a viability rule, which um, said the government may not prohibit abortion before viability, uh, which is was defined as when a baby could live outside the womb. So right now with medical technologies, um, you know, viability is changing because younger and younger babies are able to live out, outside the womb. But overall, viability is around 23 weeks at this point. So the 15-week gestational um, age act is a direct challenge to that um, viability rule. Um, And one of the things the judges in the courts uh, will be looking at is whether a state can enact laws on abortion before viability. So, Rebecca, what would that mean specifically for the state of Michigan if, uh, I guess, moving forward, if, if Roe were to be overturned? Sure. So we're not exactly sure what the court could do. There's a, a variety of ways that it could rule. Uh, we've mm. we've gotten a hint and we're very hopeful that they will overturn Roe. And if that happens, then um, abortion law, will, regulation of abortion will go back to the states. And in Michigan, we have a, a, a ban on abortion, on all abortion, that has been in place uh, f- for a number of years long-standing ban um, that would only um, allow for abortion in the instances to save the life of the mother. And one thing I want to um, mention is that uh, this ban on abortion only holds um, those who provide abortions accountable. It does not, um, you know, prosecute a woman, um, you know, somebody who's mm. seeking an abortion. It, it goes after those who are providing the abortion. Uh, And so if Roe is overturned, Michigan's ban was set to uh, go back in place. And as you can imagine, that is under attack in a lot of uh, different ways right now. So uh, right now we have a couple of different lawsuits um, filed by Planned Parenthood and um, Governor Whitmer that seek to invalidate that our longstanding ban on abortion. We have um, legislation um, put in, uh, introduced by 
a number of pro-choice um, female Democrat lawmakers to repeal our laws. Fortunately, the legislature, um, we have a pro-life majority, so those bills are not probably going to move, but they have been introduced. And we also have the um, petition drive that I know that you, um, those in the archdiocese are aware of because the archbishop has um, raised the issue to be on alert not to sign the anything goes uh, abortion uh, petition drive that's out there right now. I think it might be helpful for Rebecca to talk about the petition drive and the radical nature of it. My, my recollection, Rebecca, is that uh, the language in the petition drive is uh, so uh, uh, wide-ranging that it would even deny uh, the rights of uh, parents uh, for their teenage uh, daughters in regard to uh, uh, not only abortion but other reproductive issues. Am I correct on that? You're absolutely correct. It is extremely um, broad language, and it's very concerning. Um, this would not only institute a new right to abortion in our state constitution, but it would also um, impact laws that we have on the books um, to protect women and protect children, um, including uh, the parental consent uh, for a child um, seeking an abortion. Right now, parents need to be involved in most instances. It would um, impact our partial birth abortion ban, our ban on tax-funded abortions, as well as informed consent requirements in a list, long list of others. And so this is a very dangerous proposal, and um, we're, we're grateful uh, for the opportunity to encourage people, if they're approached, to read very carefully, read what it is that you're being asked to sign. If it happens to start with constitutional amendment to establish new individual right to reproductive freedom, please do not sign it. So again, that's constitutional amendment to establish new individual right to reproductive freedom. That should raise a red flag. This is the anything goes abortion uh, petition um, and kindly decline to sign. Am I right, Rebecca? Just to concretely, I don't want to. I don't want to be an alarmist, but uh, say. Uh, a, a young, uh, a minor, a young woman, minor, uh, 16 years old, uh, were to uh, seek to get an abortion, uh, she could do that without her parents even knowing what's going on. Is that that's would be an implication of this? That would be an absolute implication of it, and it would also allow for teachers or other people to um, help that minor secure an abortion without parents knowing. Well, which is a tremendous irony because <clears throat> the teachers and the school people can't, uh, it's my understanding, they can't give the, a student an aspirin without parental consent, but th this would be way radical then. Very radical, yes. Yeah, as you said, Archbishop, that's amazing. Like just the, the duplicity of mind uh, when our law, you can't give an aspirin, but yet you could totally... And it's interesting that they keep, it seems as though they're really swinging for the fence. They're, they're really trying to get anything and everything under this, um, under this proposal. That's very true. <laughs> That's very true. Um, and I, you know, we're, we're hopeful that we can educate people um, not to sign. There is more information. Um, I want to just give a couple resources uh, for people on our website, the micatholic.org, um, under the sticker um, do not sign is a link to the support um, 
Michigan Women and Children website. And this is a coalition of organizations, including the Michigan Catholic Conference, Right to Life of Michigan, and a variety of others across the state that are fighting against this amendment. And so there are resources on there to help educate people um, and little um, like business card flyers and um, uh, things of that nature that you can use to educate your family and friends as well about uh, the dangers of this um, proposal. You know, Archbishop, I, I want to come back to you also as far as, um, you know, from our, our spiritual shepherd of our archdiocese. Obviously, I think many, most of our listeners will probably know where the church stands uh, on these issues when it comes to abortion. I don't know if you wanted to speak into a little bit more about our, you know, what, where we're at currently in these laws and the things that are going forward. Um, just thoughts from you as our shepherd, uh, you know, encouraging our faithful on, and how to respond, how, what, how do we, what, how do we respond to this current situation, you know? Well, uh, I think one of the, a place I would start as the principal pastor of the archdiocese is to take us back to Synod 16, which takes us back to, uh, the very nature of the church, that the church is, uh, uh on mission to share the good news. And, uh, one of the an essential element of the good news is the dignity of every human being. Uh, that's not something that you you can know only by faith. Uh, think about it. It's, the, the evidence is very clear about the worth of a human life. Uh, human beings are free. Human beings are have a great dignity. But uh, when Christ comes, it becomes all the clearer, especially because we we know that every human life was worth the blood of Christ, and uh, how, how more uh, there's no more significant way to think about human life. Uh, we're about the good news, and part of the good news that we need to witness to is that whenever somebody's told there's a baby coming, that's good news. It's mm. good news that there's another human being uh, to be to be part of of, of our community. That's part of the good news to which we witness. Now, uh, admittedly, there are uh, crisis pregnancies. There are uh, situations in which the welcoming of a new uh, member of the human family can uh, cause trial and difficulty. But the solution is not to uh, end that life. Pope Francis speaks very eloquently about a throwaway culture where uh, we seek uh, too easily to solve our problems and to deal with troubles by by eliminating people, and that's no that's no real solution. And this is, I, th I think, uh, an important part of the witness of the church uh, to to a throwaway culture is to protest against it and to stand in witness against it uh, for the sake of what uh, Saint John Paul called the gospel of life. This is good news that we are. Um, uh, co-workers with the God of life, and we cooperate with him in advancing human life uh, to it, its ultimate uh, given end, which is life with him. I know even recently we had, uh, not that long ago, an episode here in this podcast where we were talking about um, human dignity in general. And of course, we talked about many of those same things you themes you just brought up and, and the deep understanding that we have in our faith regarding that. Just to return kind of to the, the SCOTUS case, and um, 
the possibility of this is obviously a rather unprecedented leak of this draft decision in the Dobbs versus Jackson case, indicating the court might set to overturn Roe versus Wade, obviously that 1973 Supreme Court decision. Um, they've obviously verified that this leak is genuine. I guess instead of speculating on uncertain decision, I mean, can we speak about some more of the significant concerning reactions that we've seen to this leak and, and how, again, how we should approach this um, as as Catholics in this, this current milieu? Um, I'll go first. Rebecca may have uh, some uh, policy uh, side of the of the conversation, but yeah, one yeah. of the things that's important for for the uh, the faithful to think about is to be ready uh, to provide whatever assistance we can to people who will be affected by the decision. I mean, <clears throat> bishops of the United States, all of us have uh, made a, a renewed commitment in our local churches. Uh, to, as we put it, walk with women in need. And uh, some people think we're accused sometimes, I think it's a, oh. it's a canard to say that we're only concerned about human life until birth, and then after that, uh, we don't care. That's not right. pro-life. Pro-life is from womb to tomb. And uh, I think uh, we, we are redoubling our efforts to stand with women in need uh, to provide uh, pastoral care for women who have had an abortion, and also to the, the fathers who suffer that loss. They, they suffer too from abortion, uh, uh, post-abortion syndrome. And to uh, get out the news that uh, the Catholic community is ready to do the very best we can to be supportive of people who are uh, might be negatively impacted by the uh, the SCOTUS decision. And I'll, I'll just kind of tack on to that. I think, you know, one of the things I think we can say is that um, Roe was unjustly decided. So we would welcome news uh, if it would be overturned. And, uh, but that, that doesn't end the story, right? Like that's just the beginning of a new chapter. And unfortunately, um, you know, women around the country, around the state are afraid and scared about what you know, what would happen? And as the Archbishop was saying, we are here to walk with them um, through the work of pro-life, you know, dedicated pro-life individuals for the last 50 years. Um, it is amazing at how pregnancy resource centers far outnumber the abortion clinics in our country. In Michigan alone, we have over 150 pregnancy resource centers, including a number of our Catholic charities agencies with Project HOPE uh, in the archdiocese as well. So we're standing ready not only to ensure legal protection for the unborn, but also to create a supportive culture for mothers and families through pregnancy and whether they choose adoption or parenting, we want to be with them through, you know, the early years um, of raising their child and walking with them every step of the way. Yeah. Uh, um, and I'll let you ask your question a little bit, but I, I'd like to do a bit of a follow-up here. Uh, what can we do? I think uh, I, I invite the faithful to join me with prayer and fasting uh, so that uh, this cause, uh, this pro-life cause is vindicated by the power of God's grace, especially uh, in, uh, an appeal to the Blessed Mother to intercede for us, to obtain for us uh, the help we need to make, uh, to... Uh, uh, vindicate uh, the right to life. 
The other thing I'm aware of as a, a pastor is that even if we get a legal vindication of the right to life, uh, we have a culture problem. Uh, it's, a, it's a common saying that uh, laws are downstream from culture. They reflect culture. And uh, the laws that people would have in mind or, or do have in mind to uh, a so-called right to life, a right to abortion, so-called right to abortion, uh, really reflect uh, a, a false understanding of the human person, uh, that uh, a human being uh, is able to be treated as a mere instrument uh, if uh, that human life impedes uh, one's own uh, efforts at autonomy and uh, uh, self-direction. And uh, that's a deeper conversion that needs to take place in our culture. And that's, that's the work of, of an age to, to bring about that change and to help everybody recognize that uh, nobody is merely an instrument to, for other people's advantage. Uh, and, uh, but everybody uh, needs to be treated as a uh, a life worthy in, in that individual's self. Amen. Well, and Archbishop, you actually kind of anticipated the question I was just about to ask. I was, I was going to kind of go back to the proposal and say, other than signing this proposal or refraining from it, uh, what else is it that we as Catholics can actually really do right now? Uh, and you answered that very much by by how we live our lives through through deep prayer and fasting and, and everything right there, which is beautiful. I don't know, Rebecca, from a from a legal standpoint, or as as citizens of our of our nation and as our you know, of our state, uh, is there something other than refraining from this proposal? Something that you can think of that we might be able to do to to be a little bit more active and and be part of the solution? Sure. Well, I want to also encourage. Um, the listeners to, if you're not already signed up, to consider signing up for the Catholic Advocacy Network. And if you go to the Michigan Catholic Conference website at micatholic.org, um, there's a link there to, to join the Catholic Advocacy Network. And to be, as a member of this network, you'll receive um, frequent updates on what's happening in Lansing and at the federal level so you can stay informed. But there's also opportunities for grassroots involvement and um Occasionally, we'll reach out to our Catholic Advocacy Network members and ask them to, um, to contact their lawmakers, and we provide some easy resources to do that, um, but as a way to share their voice and let lawmakers know um, their voice on the variety of issues, including this very important issue. Wonderful. Rebecca, I know you mentioned um, some pretty impressive stats there earlier about the fact that you know we have... Um, more pregnancy centers than Planned Parenthood, and, and we're, we're here to help. I don't know if there was any specific ones you wanted to, to mention or to call out or really just sharing the alternatives that we offer as a church, because I, I do think, unfortunately, we haven't done a significant or a great enough job as a church, you know, sharing that information and making sure that people are aware of these facts, you know, it's kind of a, almost like a marketing problem, you know? And so, uh, and I, I, we are doing great work, but people just don't necessarily know or are aware of it. Um, I don't know, was there anything you wanted to mention into that? And Sure. No, I think anything that we can do to, um, have the parishes connect with the resources in their, um, area 
um, so that they are able to refer women and speak to the resources that are available. So, and that, that's one aspect of the Walking with Moms in Need program is for parishes to look at what resources are already out there and not necessarily recreate the wheel, but say connecting with um, the Catholic Charities agencies and pregnancy resource centers um, and other community um, resources available so that they can refer women to um to these um, aids when when they're approached, uh, as well as just sharing with the parish community, because as you mentioned, um, you know there may be a an issue of not people not being aware. Well, if I'm aware and I tell my family member, and then my family member tells somebody else, it helps to spread the word um, through um, word of mouth. Oh. Um, and along those lines, just with the resources available, I'm always. Um, so impressed by the work of the pregnancy resource centers and our Catholic charities agencies in these, um, in this fashion and how they really en- envelope a woman and look at her individual specific needs. It's not a, a one size fits all. It's a very individualized approach. And in providing alternatives to abortion, um, you know, one of the things uh, I became aware of a number of years ago, there was a survey done of post-abortive women. And 86% of the women said, if just one person had been there, I would not have had an abortion. Uh And so really, when we talk about alternatives to abortion, it's just one person. If we can provide one person to listen, to, um, you know, walk along with her, um, it, it will provide uh, all the difference. Beautiful. Mike, I, I think uh, uh, a simple way for listeners who might want to uh, uh, learn more would be uh, to take this uh, sort of branding that the bishops have developed, Walking with Moms in Need, W-W-M-I-N. And I think if they Google that in, uh, they'll be led, uh, they could look on the Archdiocesan website, but they could just put that in and and they'd uh, pick up a thread of where they might learn more about uh, these resources. Absolutely. I I know I was just recently on that website and it's a great site. And they, even for, you know, from a parish perspective, they have full parish plans of like how you develop uh, something at the parish level or even as an individual, how you can assist and like kind of what you said, Rebecca, like how would I walk with a woman one-on-one if she were to all of a sudden just come into our parish and, and, and request assistance or help, uh, it gives guidance on a lot of that. And, uh, or if you were just as an individual happen to know somebody who is considering it, they give guidance and assistance and, um, thoughts and reflections around how you can best walk with them and where you can turn them to the right resources. So you're right, Archbishop. I think that's a, it's a phenomenal site. If I could add to the pregnancy resource centers do a great job of providing not only counseling, but connections to prenatal care, um, sometimes employment uh, assistance or housing assistance, um, and really meeting the, the um, physical day-to-day needs of a woman. Um, throughout her pregnancy and beyond. But there are other ways, too, that um, parishes, I think, you know, individuals and parishes could consider uh, assisting, um, you know, new families with a, with a newborn baby. It's very busy for, for those who've been in that situation. And so just someone bringing a meal by, you know, might, might help alleviate a little bit of, of stress. Um, there is a, a woman here in the, the Lansing Diocese who um, works nonstop helping 
um, women with transportation. I spoke to her the other day. I've been involved with the pro-life movement for a lot of years, worked with a number of pregnancy centers and, and w- um, was able to see their good work. And it struck me, our conversation that we had, um, she was telling me about how a woman she was helping had a couple of children, had a newborn baby, and unfortunately had to go to a laundromat to do laundry using public transportation. And so I'm just thinking about the challenge that that poses with having the children carrying, trying to lug the baby either in a stroller or, you know, carrying the baby with the car seat, plus trying to carry your laundry and get on the bus, you know, maybe having to make different stops. And I just thought, wow, that I didn't it didn't occur to me before that maybe some of the issues with transportation. And so um, this uh, woman in uh, the diocese here in Lansing that was telling me the story, she works to just drive, you know, women in, in these situations just to help alleviate um, some of the burdens that they, they might face. Not that the challenges are insurmountable, but I'm sure the help is uh, welcomed. Mm. Archbishop, was there anything you wanted to add to that specific point as well or? No, I, I think uh, you know we've we've talked so much after the synod about each one of us being an agent of the good news. What Rebecca was uh, talking about this uh, uh, generosity of uh, the the woman who has the ministry of chauffeur. Uh, that she's an agent of the good news. Uh, she's proclaiming the gospel of life, and uh, everybody is going to be called to do something. Not everybody's called right. to do everything. But everybody's going to be given an opportunity to be a, a, a co-worker with the Holy Spirit and part of the new creation. And uh, we need to be on watch for that. In response to the ballot proposal letter, you, you said actually itself, they said it's critical that any pregnant woman considering abortion knows that she has better options available. And most importantly, that she knows the love of Christ is shared through the witness borne by you, me, and all Catholics. Um, you kind of obviously just expressed that in another way just now. Was there, there's, was there more you wanted to convey on that? Because I think this is a pivotal moment in history where we have an opportunity to shine bright as Catholics and um, be a, a true example to the culture. And with the rhetoric that's going around, especially on social media, it's, it's easy for us as Catholics to kind of become either reactive, um, become angry at the state of things or frustrated. And so I, I don't know. I, I just love that quote from you. I think there's something beautiful there, especially when it comes to that pregnant woman who might be frightened, who might just need somebody to walk with them. And I think we sometimes demonize or we, we can kind of demonize those who are pro-abortion or, or the women who are pregnant. And that's not our goal at all, of course. I don't know if you want to speak to that a little bit. Well, I'm, you've said it very <laughs> well, Mike. I give you a big amen. Uh, yeah, you're the witness today. God bless you. No, uh, this is, uh, I guess all I can add is, uh, uh, to take us to the parable of the mustard seed. These are all uh, the small seeds of the kingdom of God that bear fruit in good time. And uh, yes, uh, there are times when people do, uh, in, the, in this very good cause, this great cause of pro-life, uh, we can feel desperate. But Christ is, is victorious. Christ is one. And uh, in, in his providential plan, uh, the right to life will be vindicated. And so we, we can put aside, uh, uh, we don't need to respond to acrimony uh. with acrimony. Uh, that's something certainly we see a tremendous amount of uh, uh. rage, anger uh, by uh, uh, 
people seeking to vindicate the so-called right to abortion. Uh, the Lord said we, we, need to, uh, we need to trust him and respond with patience. And I think this care for uh, moms in need, walking with moms in need, is, uh, is part of that uh, patient trust in, in the power of Christ. Rebecca, is, is there anything as we kind of close uh, this conversation, is there anything else you'd like to add just from your perspective and in the work that you do uh, for our listeners, something important that you believe that they would just really help them to know or, or to hear from you? Sure. Well, I think uh, one of the things that they um, might be interested to know is that um, the work of the Catholic Conference at the state um, budget level, uh, we have been advocating for years for funding for pregnancy resource centers and uh, funding to help pregnant women. And so for a number of years, we did have a program that was funded by the state that assisted pregnancy resource centers um, throughout the state. Unfortunately, with um, Governor Whitmer, that program has been vetoed. Um, but we're working with the lawmakers, and there's some really exciting things to see that they put forward in their budget um, this um, throughout this cycle. So the budget cycle right now had been introduced, um, sort of the governor um, proposal, then each chamber uh, introduces their, you know, their items, and then they come together at this point um, in a conference where they kind of discuss and things are um, negotiated. So, but some of the really exciting things that are in the um, the lawmakers' budgets include uh, help for pregnant women and uh, adoption marketing. I know one of the things that you'd mentioned previously is people sometimes don't know, and sometimes the thought doesn't cross their mind. And so, just to raise awareness uh, of adoption as an alternative to abortion, assistance for foster care, um, funding to, to uh, for maternity homes, um, for college offices to help pregnant students. Um, who are in need or struggling, um, trying to, um, you know, go to their classes and may need assistance with childcare. Um, and one item um, that the governor actually included in her budget that the um, House and Senate have beefed up a bit is funding for diapers. So um, funding to provide um, diapers free of charge uh, to women up um, through children up uh, to three years of age. That's hugely helpful. Yeah, we'll see what all makes it into the budget, but we're we're definitely hopeful that there will be some funding um, mm. to help uh, women or babies in these situations. Archbishop, any um, anything else or any closing thoughts from you as far as this topic goes? Well, uh, we started by talking about the Dobbs uh, case and the hope we have for the legal vindication of the right to life. Uh, we don't know where that really is going to go, and we don't. Uh, nobody can really predict what's going to happen in this state as a result of whatever might come from uh, the Supreme Court. But what we do know is that we are not going to go away. Uh, Jesus said, uh, "Behold, I'm with you all days, even to the consummation of the world." Uh, we're here, and uh, whatever the political uh, future holds. Uh, the church will continue her witness uh, to the dignity of the human person and the right to life. Praise God. Well, we've reached that point in the show or the episode where we love to hear uh, listener questions and ask the Archbishop these listener questions. Uh, so we have two questions today, Archbishop. Um, 
and we're always excited that people can ask these questions to you. I know many people love this block or portion of the episode because they get to hear um, their questions answered. So the first question is from Claire at St. John Newman, and she asks, growing up, who was your favorite children's storybook character and why? Well, actually, I didn't have any uh, children's storybook characters no? that were my favorite. So I'm going to recast the question. I think we're talking about uh, the time when I would have been in uh, mm. elementary school, mm -hmm. the first grades, and uh, the kinds of books I like to uh, read or have read to me were Lives mm. of the Saints. And so the characters that uh, I remember from those early years in elementary school were particularly these two saints. One was Saint Sebastian, and I remember at the end of uh, a many of the school days, not every day, Sister Stanislaus would read us uh, part of the life of St. Mm. Sebastian. And I remember as a, a fourth grader being very impressed with the courage of this Roman soldier who uh, was uh, shot mm. with arrows because of his confession of Christ, uh, survived and uh, was bold enough to go back into the presence of, I believe, the emperor himself, and they <laughs> solved the problem by clubbing wow. him to death. And I remember all of that very vividly. The other uh, character from those years that uh, made a tremendous impression on me was uh, St. Louis yeah. the King. Uh, remember, uh, his biography was in our religion book, and uh, I recall very clearly uh, his mother uh, quoted, uh, was quoted as saying to him, by his mother was also a saint, Saint Blanche. Uh, she said to him, I would rather see you dead at my feet than commit mm. a mortal sin. And uh, at what, uh, 10 years <laughs> old? Uh, that made a tremendous yeah. impression oh, on I me. Bet. Archbishop, I, I know you get out and you, you make the rounds doing confirmations themselves. Is, is Saint Sebastian is still probably one of the most popular confirmation saint names, is that right? Well, he is because he's the patron yeah. saint of athletes. Yeah. I, uh, and also, uh, regularly I get oh. a Hubert because Hubert is the patron oh, yeah, saint yeah. of yep. hunters. Yep. So, and I get a good number uh -huh. of Cecilia's uh, yep. because of music. That's great. Well, I, I, that's awesome that you were, those were the childhood kind of stories. They sound a little gruesome for a child, but that sounds like a great childhood stories. <laughs> <laughs> to be hearing and reading, <laughs> wonderful. There's a whole, a whole kind of uh, psychology I think that says uh, grade school boys like gruesome things. Uh, no problem with it, right? Very good. Well, Archbishop, our second question is from Danny at St. Pat's in White Lake, and he has uh, he asks, when you think of God, what image comes to mind? What does He look like to you? I don't have an image for God the Father except the face of Jesus. Mm. Uh, Pope Francis speaks eloquently about this, that uh, Jesus is the face of the Father. And so it's the face of Jesus that is the image that comes to my mind. And uh, his face that particularly comes to my mind is his uh, being seated uh, in uh, mm. the praetorium as he was mocked by, uh, by the soldiers. Uh, that's the image I have of God who loved me, loves me so much that he would endure this kind of humiliation, which he had, uh, he had he, in no way does he deserve. 
but he, he endured it for, for love mm. of me. You know, it's kind of selfishly my own question tied to this one, though, but Archbishop, do you have a, a, a specific classic or, or work of art uh, of depicting Jesus, of course, like an image of Jesus that, that uh, would be your favorite, one that you say speaks to you the most? There is a, not one particular uh, individual one, but a pose that is very meaningful to me. And uh, it's a, a Byzantine icon called Christ the Bridegroom. And it is Jesus uh, crowned with thorns and humiliated with that uh, reed mm. in his hand that uh, they, they teased him was his, his scepter. And uh, a particularly uh, find it moving that uh, in the Byzantine uh, uh, spirituality, they recognize that this is this is Jesus, the bridegroom of the church, uh, enduring, laying down his mm. life for the church. So, if I were to, if I wanted to see that, if I were just to Google Byzantine image and then type in what what did you call it again, Archbishop? Christ the Christ bridegroom. Christ the bridegroom. It probably, probably come up then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, I'm intrigued. I want to check that out. I, uh, the, I used to know the Greek word for it, but oh. I, I can't come up with it right now. So, yeah, no, that's, that's great. Uh, before we close, of course, I just always want to ask um, if you had any specific prayer intentions that we, the listeners, and myself could keep in mind for you over the next month. Well, I'd like everybody to be joined with me as we launch on this uh, uh, year of prayer for priestly mm. vocations. Uh, please uh, uh, pray for that. And also, I think we need to keep in mind and, and keep in prayer uh, the healthcare workers who continue to assist those who suffer from COVID. Of course, absolutely. Would you mind closing this podcast with a with a prayer and blessing? I'd be happy to do that. Lord God, we give you praise and thanks that not only do you deliver us from sin and death, but you give us the strength to work with you to be agents of a new creation. We thank you for all of your many good gifts. And we entrust our highest aspirations in your hand to bring good fruit forward. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, Archbishop. You're welcome. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Eyes on Jesus podcast, a new episode every month. And if you enjoy listening, you might also like Detroit Stories, a podcast from the Archdiocese of Detroit. Find it on your favorite podcast app.